welcome to the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Lee. This show is completely dedicated to giving you the stories, strategies, and top performance hacks from extraordinary minds around the globe. Without further ado, let's dive right in. What is going on, party people? Welcome back. Like, Actually, welcome back. It's been a hot second since we dropped an episode. Um, super excited to be back today, too. And we're going to be rocking a solo episode as our other episodes get edited and pushed out, which is always super fun for me. Um, and for our new listeners out there, I'm super excited to continue to share that we are still self-sponsored, which means uh, there is going to be like no crazy ads, just me telling you any tools or any new strategies that are coming out of Wired for Worthy, which is our co-regulation group, or any other groups that I'm running. And what we have going on is we still have book club running Wired for Worthy, and starting at the beginning of April, that first week in April, we're going to have two groups that are starting. Group one is going to be a biometric brain group where we're going to go through different levels of self-regulation. We're going to go through physical, mental, emotional, social, habit hacking, and a couple other goodies along the way using biometrics to better guide and understand our bodies. It's going to be an eight-week immersion where we have 60-minute conversations every week followed up with accountability, which is always super fun. And then we're going to have another group that starts that week as well that goes into burnout. Um, and we're going to be going through a bunch of different tools for self-regulation. It doesn't have the biometrics included in there, um, but it's still going to be an absolute blast. We're going to go into ego and identity and all those kinds of goodies. So if you guys are interested in joining into that, you guys can always go to any of my socials, take a dive into that link that says work with me, and it'll take you right to my calendar where we can have a conversation. And without further ado, let's dive into today's conversation. We're going to be talking about a couple really interesting things, and it's going to center around a conversation that I had with somebody a few days ago um, that for a lot of people um, made a lot of sense around emotions and around skill. So what I want to share here today is that both depression and anxiety are learned skills that we develop. Now that might sound a little bizarre, but over time, the way that we develop skill is by having a practice. Uh, the classic example is the piano player that sits down and they don't have a lot of skill, but every day they're dedicated to practice. And as they continue to practice, they get better. Well, let's kind of move that into the world of mental health today. We know that there is a three to 10 times faster pathway to the amygdala back to the brainstem for a stress response, turning on our autonomic nervous system, than there is a pathway to the frontal cortex. We are very much primed to be little balls of stress, right? Like how fun, how lucky are we? Um, but the great news is that we're also neuroplastic, right? Our nervous systems can change due to circumstance, due to environment. But that change isn't always like the best and doesn't always feel the best as well. So anxiety and depression uh, begin to build up. The challenge with anxiety and depression is they require no energy investment. They just happen passively, right? I think a lot of us have been able to experience that as well, especially through the midst of a pandemic where over time, you know, there's been a lot of external changes. And if there's one thing we know that the brain does not like, it's a lot of external changes. Um, there's a classic psychology experiment where they take two dogs and uh, they place these two dogs in two separate cages. In one cage, uh, half of the cage is uh, electrified. And when the dog walks over a specific portion, they get an electric shock. 
and the other half is safe. And they start to build association pathways and they start to learn, oh, okay, if I stay on this side, I'm not going to get shocked, not going to experience pain. And over time, they learn that. Now, the second group, the entire cage is electrified and the shocks come through randomly in intervals. And over time, the dog learns helplessness. It learns that it has no control over its environment. Now, we take both of those dogs and we place them back into a new cage, the cage of dog one, where there is an ability to get out. There is an ability to stop having pain. So dog one that was originally in the cage that was separated, that had the ability to understand and control its environment, will quickly start to make changes and look for the safe spot in the cage, which it does rather fast. The second dog just lays down, just lays down because it knows because it's been conditioned and it's been taught that it can't control its environment and it lays there and it suffers um, and it gets these electric shocks. Now, this is an old psychological experiment, but what it really tells us is that we have the ability to have learned helplessness. We can learn that like our environment is unwavering and we, we lose the hope to change. We can't change. That's what that helplessness really comes in as. But it takes time, right? The, the level of stimulus that comes in based on those emotional traumas can either be a trickle or it can be a fire hose. Some of us have big T traumas, right? If we lose somebody, um, we have a really nasty breakup, um, you know, some other really horrid events, we have abuse, um, you know, all of these other big T traumas that come in. We watch, you know, somebody from um, the military come back with PTSD or CPTSD, like all of these different things. Those are big T traumas. And for the most part, we have some really great protocols to kind of get those things supported um, and help out there, which are really, really beautiful. But the little T traumas, we don't talk a ton about the little T traumas, which happen every single day. And the little T trauma is that, you know, you come downstairs and your kid's been drawing on the wall with Sharpie and you're just overwhelmed and it's 4 a.m. and like, all right, have all these other things. And the amount of stimulus that your nervous system can handle that day supersedes your ability to tolerate it. So it therefore becomes stress and stress turns on that amygdala fires off to the posterior stem. And now suddenly we have this stress response. Now wrap this back into depression and anxiety with me really quickly. Imagine a nervous system that's built out for survival has the capacity to change, but we never get those types of lessons. We never get those types of things in school. So this nervous system that has its own sovereignty based on focus and attention loses that. We lose our sovereignty the instant that we get stressed, right? You can't read the label inside of the jar. And if we live an entire life of stress, well, every day that we go out into the world, we're practicing our stress right? We're not practicing our regulation. We're practicing to coexist with our stress. And in some ways, I think that has a lot of utility to it once we learn some stress um, regulation and some stress management tools. But I'm hoping that this is starting to build a picture that over time, this gentle trickle of stress, 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 big stress, little stress, big stress, little, little, little stress, like it, it's just this collaboration that teaches us, oh, I just live in a stressful world. And every day that we go out there and we experience this stress again, we practice it, right? We practice victimizing ourselves. We practice telling ourselves that we're incapable of doing that. We practice doubting ourselves to keep ourselves safe, right? There is a book out there called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. She said, 
uh, it's not the darkness that we fear. It's our own light. It's our own potential. And I know I absolutely butchered that quote, but appreciate everybody staying patient with me. I really recommend that book. We're actually going to read it in book club, but it's absolutely true. But the thing about our potential and getting that out there and expressed is that it's new. It's a novel experience to express our truth. And genuinely, we start to express our gifts and our potential we do that to other people, right? We share that gift with other people. And that's one of the biggest fears is that we're going to get kicked out of the tribe. Like we are not meant to do this life solo. So built into our social stress network is to like not stick out too much. It's not to do too much, not to stick out or uh, have all of these other things come up. So when it comes to like sharing our potential, our nervous system goes, yeah, well, like tomorrow, tomorrow will be really great. Then we start to develop all these really fun things like, all right, I'm going to self-sabotage myself back into my safe zone, which is like the known, right? I want to stay in the known because doing the unknown means lack of predictability. And even though it feels good, I'm going to go back to like what is known and toxic. And that's what the nervous system does. It'll choose predictability over something that it knows is long-term healthy. And that's, again, another stress response that we have. When the stress response gets turned on, turns down the frontal cortex, right? And the frontal cortex has long-term planning. So during stress, we will choose short-term salvation, which means like, oh, that's right. I don't know why I ate that box of Oreos over like the salad that I had. Uh, well, there's a Labrador retriever that is now running your brain that we call the brainstem. And it is going to choose short-term salvation over long-term health or wellness. It'll choose toxic attachment because it has certainty built into it. And over time, that didn't just happen out of nowhere. Our system has learned to develop these tools and we're very good at that, right? Like, I can't tell you how good I am at affirming my limitations. Like, you know, I have a couple hobbies. I like to paddleboard, I like to play the piano. I like to read, I like to podcast, I like to drink coffee. Uh, I like to drink coffee, right? Uh, but one of those things, like I love having anxiety about my anxiety. I love sabotaging myself. I love affirming my affirmations through the actions that I refuse to take because my intellect will tell me that I have the incapable skill to do that. And this is a shout out to all of my intellects. Your intellects know your deepest, darkest traumas too. And they for sure are not like, yeah, let's just witness our traumas today. No, they are for sure like, listen here, bud. Remember last time that we tried to do this and they are gonna paint like, a Marvel movie of like, you can't do this, right? Like it'll build such a crazy story around like your limitations. And most of the time we sit there and listen because it's such a good story. It affirms certainty. You're like, oh, well, I kind of thought I couldn't do it, but like now I really like, I, I know I can't do it. Like this thought has become a feeling, right? Like sweet goodness above. And that's part of the story that I want to share here today is that our system is really developed not for us to like express and to like share. It's developed to like survive. And until we start to like realize that, that we build this skill over time, we're going to find ourselves constantly frustrated. And again, the stressed out system is going to look for short term salvation over long term sustainability. And we're going to be constantly looking for the next supplement, the next magic wand to fix us when really. If we think about it and we like re-listen to this, well, I have to change those pathways. I need to shift my focus. I need to shift what's going on. And if I have the ability to practice being depressed or to practice self-sabotage, well, I also have the ability to practice being happy. 
I have the ability to practice joy. I have the ability to practice my own worthiness. And you know what? Gosh darn it. Me and this cup of coffee are going to sit down and do that this morning. And that's the skill that we need to build up over time. And what I'm going to do today is share with you some of the things that I do in my own life that help me uh, continue to build up that skill for myself so that I don't fall back into um, holes of depression that I feel like I am hopeless. Because the thing about using these skills and like proving to yourself that not only you're worthy to do them every single day, but you have the utility to do it is that the nervous system always remembers those, right? Like by default, we remember a lot of the negative things that have happened to us, but we also remember like areas of bliss and joy as well, because they are such meaningful events and the brain builds out maps of meaning. So we can use those correlations to really come back and say like, oh, okay, like the memory system is not just fixated on like what I'm doing wrong, but it has the potential to share and uh, recreate these events that I've done right as well, which is very exciting. So over time, we can develop these skills, we can learn them, we can share them, we can implement them. But what does that really look like? Well, for me, at least, I, I try to point responsibility back on my story and back on my journey. I remember getting into personal development and I really started to get into like neurolinguistics programming. And while I have no beef with that, I went into it for the wrong reasons. Um, and over time, it's it's continued to not be my cup of tea. And if it is your cup of tea, like go for it. Like it works for a lot of people, but I went into it like looking for a magic wand. I was looking for something that was going to fix me in the short term. So I really got into like biohacking and really got into nootropics and I really got into all of these other things, but I wasn't doing it in a really sustainable way. Like the best like biohacks, the best things for like sleep, exercise and diet, like those are the best things that you can do for your nervous system. Like if you want to perform optimally, uh, get obsessed with those. Like that's why when we go into our biometric courses, the first thing that we teach is like sleep, diet, exercise. Like those are the three correlations that like we never learn how to do like math, geometry, English, uh, sleep regulation or like stress management. Like no health class was like us awkwardly sitting there with the gym teacher and a banana and like, oh yeah, talk about like trauma, big T trauma, like, oh, this is no, like we were not properly educated on some of these systems. So coming back to a lot of this, first give yourself permission to accept that this is going to take time. And the only thing that you have to do right now is give yourself 1% change every single day. And I always come back to this because it has been such a profound lesson in my life is journaling. Um, I don't know if there's been a day over the last six years that I haven't opened up my journal and wrote something down. Like I have stacks of journals living in my house because it, it is just such a great regulation tool for me. And people always ask me, you know, did you always like have the ability to like crack open a journal and just get after it? Like, and just like express and like, oh no, 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 no. Um, if anybody's been around since the time of like the very first like consulting company I ran called Barefoot Vitalism, you'll remember that I had a very strong affinity for sticky notes. And if, the, if there's those old pictures floating around like the apartment from like six or seven years ago, um, it looked like a crazy person lived there because there were so many sticky notes on the wall, um, like years of them, because every single day that was my journaling habit for so long is that all I would do is, all right, today I want to experience a different emotion, right? So I take that sticky note and say like, all right, today I want to experience like happiness. 
And here's how I think I can experience happiness. So I was trying to like prime my system for like what it could experience, right? So in the morning time, I strongly believe this, the first 60 minutes of the day kind of set the emotional thermostat for the rest. So I take these sticky notes and I write that down and then they kind of prime it for the rest of the day. And it worked really well. And I have sticky notes on my wall right now. Like I'm looking at them like, oh, look at us, like not changing, like how fun. But over time, I started to realize that I was running out of space. I was like, all right, these sticky notes aren't working anymore. Um, and that's when I really started to get into journaling. So I started to open up this journal and I could write a couple lines and, you know, the empty page is like very, um, challenging for a lot of writers out there. And I'm not by any means saying that I'm a writer. Um, but over time I built the skill and I built the time in the morning to drink my coffee. And now, um, a lot of you have seen this, my daughter and I, she has her own journal, which tends to flip flop with mine all the time. And I used to be like so strict with that too. Like I think back to times where I'm like, I used to hide my journal um, from her cause like I wanted it like so like kept neat and tidy. Um, and I look at the changes that I've been able to make over time too, where like she'll swap journals with me in the morning time. Um, and she'll like, I wanna use daddy's journal today and I wanna use daddy's pens. And I'm like, you know what baby, go for it. And I have those like memories in there now and I tag them and I'll write, you know, Phoenix art inside of those. And it's just like, it always brings a smile to my face be walking into like a, a C-suite like board with like, you know, people that have like Rolexes and just like very, very like well done people. And I like open it up and there's like a unicorn drawn in like those. And it's just like, it constantly brings me joy now, um, like plasticity in motion. But back to like that journaling practice, like I, I taught myself or I felt inspired to do that. And I just kept doing it. And this is like the power of accountability. And this is the power of like having groups that do challenges and stuff like that like a 30 day, like journaling thing and keeping yourself accountable. Um, I think I started something like that, like way back in the day. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do like 60 days of sticky notes. I think that's how that all got started to be honest, 60 days of these sticky notes. And back then I listened to Sean Croxton's, um, quote of the day. I still, I still listen to it. Um, and I think that was one of those things like challenge yourself to like do something. And if you can do accountability for yourself, nobody could ever mess with you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that, right? Like if I can learn that in my early 20s, like sign me right the heck up for that. And I started to develop that skill too, to keep myself there and to keep myself accountable. So we know that there's like two specific triggers for neuroplasticity. And I think we forget that neuroplasticity, again, like we've talked about in the past, doesn't really feel great. But one of those is focus, focus slash attention. And the other one is going to be agitation or novelty, right? Those two things over time will create plastic changes. Now, the triggering of plasticity is not the building of plastic networks, right? So triggering has the uh, potential to plastically shift pathways, but it's actually during deep sleep uh, that those plastic changes occur. Uh, deep sleep, by the way, is also where we create long-term memories. So if you're wondering like why you can't remember things, we got to get back to that sleep, right? So when we dive into our emotions and I know, you know, myself, I try to, again, point this back at me. Um, we want to be more confident. And the antithesis of that is like, I have a lot of self-doubt, right? Well, again, if you have a lot of something, it's because you've been practicing it for a while, right? Emotions are skills. We know that like every uh, emotional intelligence coach, every emotional intelligence practitioner, every therapist, every neuroscientist, every neuropsychologist will like continue to tell that that these emotions that we have, they're very plastic. They have the ability to change. We can cultivate, we can uh, transform them. And once we take responsibility for that, we can look at what we currently have, 
how we got there. How do I practice this every single day? And now say, okay, if I want more confidence, it's the consistency of repeating a practice of the emotion that I desire that will take me there. So a couple of days ago, somebody asked me um, to describe what anhedonia was. And if you haven't heard of anhedonia, it is a classic sign and symptom of uh, anxiety, depression, CPTSD, PTSD, and burnout. And anhedonia is the general lack of pleasure. You eat food that you once loved and it has no meaning. You, you lose the sensation of like expressing joy and you tend to live a life of extremes. And this can sometimes manifest as um, bipolar disorder, but what the nervous system is really doing is trying to have sensation again. Um, and over time, the nervous system has developed anhedonia. And it develops that because it has experienced so much emotional pain that it's trying to turn the emotional pain off. It's trying to turn the emotional pain down. So it'll start to like cut out different sensations. And one of them tends to be pleasure um, because pleasure is like something that we get once we reach above Maslow's pyramid, right? We go safety, uh, food, shelter, and then we go to the next and the next and the next. And eventually we get to like some emotional regulation stuff. Um, but if we don't have those other things and we're experiencing pain on a daily basis, well, anhedonia starts to kick in. And we can also see this with people that have chronic pain. Um, people that have chronic pain also start to like, oh yeah, the world's just gray. Like, and they get depressed because of that. And then it's a feed forward system um, that people start to get depressed and it's a slippery slope. It becomes very challenging um, because, you know, if there's, there's no purpose to experiencing um, pleasure or there's no purpose to experiencing anything different, all we experience is pain. Well, this is again, back to that learned helplessness. Um, and one of the most extraordinary stories that I can share about this, um, this man genuinely changed my life. So uh, back when I was in clinic, there's a gentleman um, that had had just a ton of different spinal surgeries done. Um, and a lot of these different spinal surgeries were in an effort to stop this like chronic, like neurogenic pain. Um, and for those that don't know, like anything that is like nervous system pain is like 12 out of 10 pain. Like it, it is the strongest signal of pain. And this gentleman had this pain um, over a huge mass of his entire skin. So like he had trigeminal neuralgia, consider that, which is like one of the worst pains that you can experience over his entire body, right? And he definitely had a lot of these different challenges that would manifest. And he came into the clinic just looking for support, like wanted to get out of this pain. And this man's level of like resilience that he started to see, like he was able to start to walk out of that clinic and not be in pain. And we, he became embarrassed um, a couple times because he would just cry because he felt different. Like he felt like not bad. And that not bad was like such a shift for him that it like radically changed his life. And fortunately I lost touch, touch with him, but um, over time, this gentleman, like he would take the extra time to go back into the waiting room and just like exist in the moment of not being in pain. And he was intentionally placing focus and attention on that moment. And he wired that like, I watched this gentleman go from somebody that was like depressed and like anhedonic and all these other different things to intentionally like changing these practices. And at the time I, I wasn't as focused inside of the world of mental health and neuroscience as really into functional neurology, but now I can look back and observe and go, Oh my gosh, like this man, like changed those pathways in his nervous system, even against like all circumstances when he was like, had years, like decades of learned helplessness, like 
he was always hopeful for a change. And like, how amazing is the nervous system to have some of those pathways built in? So with the last couple of minutes that we have diving in here, I want to talk about some emotional and mental regulation skills that I have been using for a long period of time that I hope can bring you some value as well. And I hope this has been valuable. Um, and as a gentle reminder, our, our podcast has always brings me a chuckle. Um, it was never my intention to like, we're going to scale this thing up to like a top like tier podcast, but we're really close. So if you're listening to this on Apple and you're called to like leave um, a comment or give us a rating or review. Um, we're like almost at like the top 1% of like entrepreneurship, which is like one of the hardest categories for us to dive into. Um, cause it's just very competitive. So if you're feeling froggy and want to do that, it's always super appreciated. So let's dive into these skills. Let's talk about mental regulation first. So nothing is good or bad thinking makes it so nothing is good or bad thinking makes it so. So what are some of the things that I do on a daily basis to help me like mentally regulate? Well, one of those things is journaling. And I know I just beat this horse dead, but it has been so profound for me because it sets the container for me to express my thoughts inside of. So the first 60 days, again, I think that that's such a powerful rudder for us to express ourselves and to like shift and move and pivot into a way that we feel empowered. And it makes sense neurologically too, because we go from delta into theta into alpha into beta so we're making like transitions through different areas of the nervous system that would allow us to like anchor on to an internal environment that we get to choose like back to like that sovereignty right like how nifty is that like twice a day we go through and we can kind of do like deep inventory on how we're thinking and feeling without the filter of stress out of like beta wave how fun is that so in the morning time i tend to drink a big cup of water and I'll crack open my journal and I'll just observe what was going on. I'll either read a dream journal and write down anything that I remember. I'll um, typically, before I do all of that, I'll put my aura ring, um, read my biometrics on top of my phone and just let it like download the data. And then I'll drink my water and I'll journal. I would recommend that if you have an aura ring, uh, do journaling first before you look at your data so that your data is not determining how you're going to feel that day. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Perfectionist really likes to kick in that way. Like, oh, we're down in like the seventies today, which means I don't have permission to like show up and change, which you always do, by the way, you can always shift. You can always pivot. So the exercise that I'm going to share with you guys in the journal is the one that I do most days. I don't do this every day because a lot of days I just free associate doing a pages exercise. I'll set a 10 to 12 minute timer and I'll just start writing. I'll go and I'll go and I'll go for 10 to 12 minutes and then I'll go back and I'll reflect on that and I'll look for any patterns that might've come up. But the other days that I, I might be a little bit more busy or um, if my little one wakes up a little bit earlier, what I will do is write down B-I-G, B-I-G. And what B-I-G stands for is belief, intention, and gratitude. That first B, I ask the question, what do I believe in the external world today, right? I know that I don't control the external world, but I can kind of control my perception of that. So today I choose to believe that the external world is magical, beautiful, extraordinary, and that it's going to bring to me amazing events, people, and circumstances that are going to allow me to feel inspired, right? And I'll write that down. And like, I can start to, because I've done this for a while now, I can feel what inspiration feels like. Like I write things down and I feel a sense of inspiration in my body. I'm connecting mental regulation to emotional regulation. Then I move down to intention, which is the thing that I can control. What do I want to experience today? Well, today I want to feel a sense of connection to my purpose, to doing the work that I love, to sharing. If I know that I have a day that's like, you know, 16 hours long, 
awesome. Like what a blessing it is that people are connected with this message and I get to show up and witness them as whole and complete as they deserve to be seen. Like, oh my gosh, like count my lucky stars, like that I get to do this, like as like my job, like, oh my goodness. So I'll connect that feeling again, intention. I'm using my thoughts to reconnect me down to an emotional grounding. And we move into gratitude. What I'll do for gratitude is three things. I'll think of something in the past that I'm grateful for, typically from the day before, something I'm grateful for like right now in this moment, which could be like watching the sunrise or knowing that I have like coffee that's traveled like halfway across the world from like, you know, um, Ethiopia or from Honduras and all these other different places. And that has been brought to me so I can enjoy like magical cup of coffee and like the people and the time and the effort, or I'm grateful for my family or I'm grateful for my daughter or the food in the fridge. I'll find something that I'm grateful for right now. And then what I'll do is I'll prime the system to look for something that I'm grateful for in the future. So what I'm doing is connecting past to present to future. And I've been doing that practice for a long period of time. It's something you can do on a sticky note. You can do it in your notes, in your phone, um, but it's always held such utility for me and it's been so transformative. So that's a really great mental tool to kind of set the container. And then at the end of the day, if you also have the space to either share with a partner what is a victory that you had today, or you can do this inside of a journal. Um, and inside of the journal, I write down LL, what did I learn and what do I want to let go? And I use those tools together to help me mentally and emotionally regulate myself. Um, and I know I talk about this so gosh darn much, but what's really interesting about shifting this over to emotional regulation is that at the end of the day, you want to go back and see where you've placed negative stress or negative charge. And you want to see if you can go back and shift your perception of that. Again, go back and regulate before you rewire. So before you go into any emotional regulation, see if you can just take time to breathe and meditate or pray or journal and just kind of like shift some of those perceptions. And you'll be amazed at how amazing that you feel after that. So the emotional regulation might sound very simple to go back and regulate before you rewire with you know, like, you know, a, a two to one breathing ratio or a one to two breathing ratio, excuse me. So you breathe in for three seconds and breathe out for six, do that for two minutes. And then just go back through and do inventory on the day and see if there's any times that you felt triggered. Um, and again, these things are skills. So if you fire them up and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm so bad at these, or I don't feel like I can do it. Awesome. That means you're experiencing the agitation of neuroplasticity and you are well on your way. Congratulations. So friends, that is the end of the episode. I'm so grateful that everyone is able to be here today. As always, if you have any questions, hit me up on my socials and I will talk to you all soon.